Glory to Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Tonight is class two of six in our introduction to Eastern spirituality. Uh, Father Stanichar is leading us through this. And Father, would you please uh, start us with prayer? Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, you are everywhere present and fill all things. Treasury of blessing and giver of light. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all sins, and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Praise be Jesus Christ. Praise be him forever. Father, um, so from last week, we had a couple of questions, um, and today is, um, for those of us watching this later, uh, today is the 15th of uh, November, 2016, so it's the start, the first day of uh, Philip's fast, yes. and someone had a very, um, uh, looked up in the Tipicon what today was, and it was described as a day of Alleluia. Um, can you just speak as what a day of Alleluia is, and uh, and what that means for us? If you go to the matin service, the typical beginning of matins after the typical prayers is starting with Alleluia and verses for the fast. That's done in all times of fast, Lent, and all that. Those are called days of Alleluia because of the way you start the service. So that service is in praise of God. Alleluia. And so all, we, all those fast days, we always, even during the week, if you're going to have some monasteries observe the small fast, the other three small fasts. They'll have days of Alleluia on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Not all, but quite a few would do that. So that they start out with Alleluia and a verse where we'd start out. And then they do the uh, uh, tropars, and then they do the reading of the Psalter. Mm. Those are days of Alleluia. Now, sometimes the days of Alleluia have double the reading of the Psalter, especially in Lent. Yeah, where, where we read the, the Kithismata twice um, yes. through the week. So you do the, all the Psalms twice in a week. Mm. Now, usually we do one the Psalms once a week all through, but there's occasions when we do more than that. And there's occasions when we do less. We only do three. Like this, this morning, we did three for the Feast of St. Matthew. Mm -hmm. But then you have the Palaeolaeus, and then you have maybe two canons. So they sort of balance out, and it balances out. You can have four canons, but we usually have two to three. Right. And and since this is the start of the fast, you know, we were talking a little bit before the class, um, but can you just kind of speak about what you and the monastery do for this this fast, um, kind of a, a quick thumbnail of what it looks like, and maybe how we uh, out in the world can apply it to our, our lives? Well, because we're a monastery, we fast on strictly on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, this time of year, we, when we come out of church, we eat, but during Lent, we do not eat till noon, because you... The fast is the length of time you do without food, not the food that you avoid, the forbidden foods, okay? So at this time of year, we don't eat any meat for 40 days. We eat uh, vegetables most of the time. We have fish uh, maybe Tuesday and Thursday and on the weekend. We'll eat some eggs on the weekend, but the rest of the time we eat vegetables. So the typical evening meal would be 
a salad with some kind of vegetarian soup. Mm. And actually, I prefer that diet. It's really, it's really a pretty good diet. Yeah. Uh, in Lent, we fast all days of Lent from uh, till noon, and then we have a meal, and then we have a smaller meal in the evening. Now, they, we eat what we need, actually, in the afternoon, so there could be snacks or something. We're not that... They could have an apple or something like that, but that's how we keep the fast, because fasting disciplines the passions. We must all fast. Now, in your parish, is a, I'm sure the priest says it's an optional fast. There should be no optional fast. And you should fast at least Wednesday because Christ was betrayed, Friday because he died on the cross, okay? And you don't have to keep the monastic fast, but we will enjoy the company. <laughs> yes. yeah. So if, if the monastic fast is the ideal, people's yeah. experience is something less, but but can can it's the ideal. That ideal. And I think that the reason we can do it in the monastery is because we have the support of our brothers in doing it. You have some other people to do it with. In the world, you've got all these conflicts about fasting, getting fasting food, who's going to prepare it. you got to go to these social engagements. But that's really an excuse. <laughs> Eat vegetarian soup and salads. And people say to me, I can't do that. I say, yeah, and then you're in, you're in trouble. Are your passions completely under control? How many hours a day do you pray? <laughs> it's sort of a nice question, isn't it? Yeah. So fasting and prayer is the way up Jacob's ladder to the heavenly kingdom. And you'll fall in love with it. It makes you a better person. Wonderful. Those are actually the questions that we had. Thank you so much. Uh, so maybe we can move into the material for tonight. Okay. Okay. So last night we last time we talked about who you were in relationship to God. Tonight we're going to talk about God. So it's it's going to be a little bit just a, a, a tad uh, more challenging. Okay. Now, uh, theology is the study of God. It's a Greek word. And there is no theology apart of with, with being in union in God. You must be in union with God to be a theologian. So in Eastern Church, we only have a couple of theologians. You know, John, the theologian, and Gregory. And maybe later on, Gregory Palamas. He's quite an influence on our Eastern spirituality. So it's necessary to become a new man, a new person, to be in union with God. Uh, Deification is the way to knowledge of God. So you just can't read about it. You just can't uh, meditate, all that stuff. You've got to experience God. That's the bottom line of Eastern spirituality. Now, uh, that apophatic theology I talked about, how am I going to know God? Well, God is incomprehensible. And that's who you want to know, huh? But he's revealed himself to us, especially in his divine son, that beautiful high priest we have that loves us. Uh, this is a primordial fact. 
that uh, is incomprehensibility. So they read volumes and volumes and volumes about God, and most of it's a waste of time. You have to experience the love of God in your heart, and you have to read the gospel and the fathers of the church. They suffered by prayer and fasting and by years and years of study and pondering to give us some insight into the most holy trinity. Make no mistake, the holy trinity is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no other God. And he's of one essence. What does that mean, God is of one essence? Well, he's of one substance. He's whatever the quiddity of God is, that's what he is. Can we define that? No. If you can define God, you are God. Our pre-brains can't do that. If you can define God, you have become part of the Holy Trinity. There's only three that are part of the Holy Trinity, and I assure you it's none of us. I assure you that. Now, um, so what are the characteristics of God? Is His, his being is common between the three persons. There's hypostasis, like personalities in God, but not like psychological personalities either. It's a, it's a peculiar part of the substance of God in part of the Father's being. So the Son and the Holy Spirit are part of the Father's being. Uh, I'd like to say essence, but essence is abstract. Uh, Abstasis is one person. There are three. Now, being be un, un, being unbegotten, this is tough, is the characteristic of the Father. Filiation, or being the Son, is the proper mark of the Son. And procession is the proper mark, if we can say that, or characteristic of the Holy Spirit. And we've said all that, we've said nothing. I apologize for that because we know this from Revelation. If you read John's gospel, you'll you'll learn all those things. They're right in there. It's the most beautiful gospel. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one, respecting these things. Things One is unbegotten, one is filiation, and one is procession. This is the Orthodox faith by St. John Damascene. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Isn't that nice? Memorize it. Okay, now. Now, the Father is distinguished as the monarch, the origin of everything. So, in the Eastern spirituality or theology, we do not tell you from the outside what God is. He has to reveal himself to us. He is the Father. So I was in a, I was in a convention. Uh, the bishop sent me to on ecumenism and evangelization, and there was a bishop there who remained, he remained nameless. So anyway, he comes up to me and he says, "What about you, Eastern people?" I was the only one dressed as a priest. I had a cassock on and all that. There, there were a few others too, you know, oddballs like me. But anyway. He says, what's with you and the, the father? 
I says, the Father is the origin of everything in the Holy Trinity. He says, he is the monarch, the one. And by because of that, there is one God. He looks at me, he says, well, that's what's wrong with you Eastern people. He says, you have a mystery. You set it on a table. You get the incense. You say a prayer. You incense it and leave it alone. I said, that's all we can do with the monuments of faith. That's all we can do. It's revealed by God. I didn't discover it. I can't tear it apart. I'm not a philosopher when it comes to theology. I use a few philosophical terms, which the Father used, but I have to be a man of love and mystery in theology. I have to fall in love with it. So let's do it again. Being begotten is the son of filiation, of procession is the Holy Spirit, and the Father is the monarch in the Holy Trinity. It's a dynamic unity. It's held together by mutual love and nature, the divine nature, the divine quiddity. Now, how do we know anything about it? We read the Gospels. I don't read the Gospels. This is a little bit of a simplification, but I don't want to be here all night talking about that. I want to talk about how we know God. We know God through experience. So, to know the Trinity is to enter into a perfect union with God. St. Maximus the Confessor. To enter into the divine life, the very life of the Holy Trinity. Trinitarian theology is a theology of union. It presupposes a continuous and progressive series of changes in created nature. We will become partakers of the divine nature. I'm going to read that to you later on from Second Peter in the New Testament, one of the Catholic epistles. You will be partakers of the divine nature. We'll talk about that too, okay now. By nature of God and man, we are unable to participate in either the essence or the hypostasis of the Holy Trinity. Nevertheless, we are called to participate in this divine nature. It's our vocation. Energies or divine operations, forces proper to the inseparable from God by which he communicates and gives himself. Grace is the energy of God. A divine power, energy common to the nature in the three. St. Gregory of Palamas. Now let's talk about that. So I taught, I introduced to you last week, you know, you're supposed to know this by now. I'll correct your thesis later. But anyway. <laughs> Gregory Palamas got in a lot of trouble because he said, we can experience God. We can experience God. You know? And I read something this week that in the future, only those who experience God will be Christians because the others, because of their lack of perseverance, lack of prayer, lack of fasting, and so influenced by a secular world, will fall away. So it's going to be a smaller but holier church, it looks like to be. But that glory of that holy church, I'm going to tell you about that a little bit. What beautiful church is going to be. Not that the church is not good now, but you know, church suffers. 
You suffer, church suffers, love suffers, and the whole world suffers because they won't listen to the Father, to the Son, and embrace the Holy Spirit. Now, this belonging to the Trinity is called economia, the divine economia. You with God in his self-revealing energies, but unknown in his essence, is the destiny of every Christian. The economia is run by the Son. He's the, as we say, the Savior. He's the high priest. He's the one that makes you part of his divine life and makes you participate in God. And not only that, says you will become God's. Salter says that. Sometimes that text is a problem because some people think they're God already and they're not. That's a problem, you see. So have to be careful with that. Now, God is communicated and imparted to us, but he is not communicated in a incommunicable of his essence, the incommunicability of his essence. He can't give us his essence. If they had the essence of God, we have to be God. But he communicates to us in these energies that Greg Palamas was telling us about. So you know lots about the energy of God because you probably banged your head a couple times or you fell down the steps or something and you saw some of God's creatures, which is his created energy. And you're not supposed to curse when that happens. <laughs> you say, thank you, God, for your created energies, but do they have to be so difficult to deal with? Everything you experience, flowers, children, everything is the created energies of God. Now, the deifying energies of God, you experience them in your heart. We talked about that last week. God's being enthroned in your heart, these deifying energies. Very important, very lovely, very important. So Gregor Palamas made that distinction for us. It's not a Western distinction. It's an Eastern distinction. And it's the heart of your romance with God. That you know you're going to experience this loving embrace of God in your soul. So you say, what keeps the monks in the monastery? It's not the food, I hate to tell you. It's not my charm. They're in, they're in love with something. They're reaching for something else. That divine romance. Remember, religion is a romance with God. It's not the rules. Most of those rules are made for sinners. I don't think my monks are sinners. I may be one, but I don't think my monks are sinners. They try hard. And they're lovely people. And they pray. And they're searching for the beautiful throne in their heart where the divine energies are enthroned. Transforming them into something beautiful and wonderful destined for glory in heaven. A crown. You like jewelry? You'll get a crown in heaven. Okay, now let's go on here. God the Father is the Father of glory. Um, that's Ephesians 1.17. The Son is the brightness of his glory, and he himself has the glory which is he had from the eternal of the Father before the world began. That's John 17, Gospel of John. Now, the Father sets by the Son in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that means exactly, but that's what the fathers are saying. 
The Son is the Logos, the Word of God. So God spoke a word from all eternity. It was the Son. He got it from all eternity. It's always been there, always will be. But that holy word came down to earth in the incarnation. He became flesh like we are. Of the holy throne of God, the wound of God, the Blessed Virgin Mary, he has her eyes. He has her heart. He has her hair. He didn't have a human father. All his genetic inheritance was from the mother. And that's why she's special, because she said, sure. Mystical, very mystical. She's a mystic. Beautiful mystic. We'll talk about her later more. Now let me get back on the point. So the son is the icon of the Father. He's the very revelation of the image of the Father. So in John's Gospel, they say, well, they've been looking to see God for centuries, but they say, well, show us the Father. He says, well, hello, take a look at me. I'm the revelation of the Father. So you get up in the morning, you may not look so good. I don't look so good in the morning. I look bad now, but I don't look so good in the morning. And uh, I look at the mirror, I say, how can that possibly be the revelation of God? But it is. You are the revelation of God in the world. You better act better from now on. That would just influence your whole behavior because you are the revelation of God, especially if those energies are cooking in you, making you a loving, mystical person, plunging into the love of the mystery of the Holy Spirit, growing in God to that mystical person that is your destiny. Heaven starts on earth. It is your destiny. Now, let me go on a little bit here. I have to keep some notes, you know. This doctrine of the divine energies is the real dogmatic basis of all real character of all mystical experience. This is the foundation of the mystical life. Without this, we're spinning our wheels. But through the Son and his divine touch, he sends the Holy Spirit and he sanctifies us and he establishes us in the life-giving trinity. We become part of the life-giving trinity. That is the mystical life. But it's hard work. We're going to have to talk about that. It's hard work. The gate is narrow. And it's me that's trying to do it. That makes it double the problem, huh? It's hard work. Now, it's in receiving the deifying energies, one receives the indwelling of the Trinity. Eastern theology knows no supernatural order between God and the created world. There's one world. It's God's world. There's no upstairs and downstairs. It's one world. We're walking with the angels and saints all the time. Unfortunately, the devils too. We'll talk about that later. That'll scare you to death. One world, God's world, and we're living in it, walking in it, breathing in it, and loving it. Heaven is also on earth. Think about it now. It's not someplace we get to later on. We start the journey now through deification. Now, there is God and created reality, the steps we fall down. God is present in all things, omnipresent, they say, in theology. His energies enter into relationship with that which is not God, 
an active dynamic relationship, creative relationship, but to us he gives deifying energies. All creation is balanced on one word, Jesus, the Logos, the creative word of God from which everything else comes. First chapter of John's Gospel. Okay. Is upon it like a bridge of diamonds. Above them is the abyss of the divine infinity. Below them, the, our own nothingness. This is Philaret of Moscow. Magnificent. Creation from nothing, next nihilo, means an act of producing something outside of God. Thus, God is entirely other. Creation is not a communication, a diffusion of divine energy. It is the work of the will of God and not the divine nature. He wills it and so it is. He doesn't have to have prime matter or something, all this hard, happy stuff, you know, okay. Only the Word of God, the second person of Blessed Trinity, is begotten of the divine nature. Therefore, is God with the Holy Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit? The Son came and revealed himself to us. We know the Holy Spirit as he works inside of us. We feel his warmth, his love, and we feel the change in our spiritual development. Magnificent. He turn, comes down on the altar like fire, and he turns the bread and wine to the body and blood of Christ, just like he put the body and blood of Christ in the wound of the Virgin, the mother of the Eucharist. Boy, you got a nice religion going there. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Now, there was no necessity in the divine nature we could come because of creation. Creation is a free act of God's will. And this react is the sole foundation of the existence of everything, all creatures, everything. Death and destruction are not involved in a return to non-being. That's not the will of God. The creation is a free act of the will of God and the common will of divine nature. So we're not going to become nothing. Would become something greater, or maybe worse. You won't, or I hope not, but maybe worse. You may be suffering. I told you about the fire of the Holy Spirit, but I'll talk about it later on. Now, volitional activities, ideas, determines the nature of the creature, that which is after the essence of what God wants it to be, the word that God wants it to be. Synergy. Ever been to a I don't know. I love, uh, I used to try to play the violin. And sometimes, if, as a monks will say, why don't you play the violin? I says, well, when you want to get rid of the bugs in the house, I'll play it for you. And we'll get rid of all of them right, right away. But I used to be halfway decent in my day. Now, if you play in an orchestra, you're going to play Beethoven or Tchaikovsky or Brahms, not Brahms necessarily, but um, everybody loves Beethoven. And there's sections of the orchestra. And there's a conductor. The conductor raises his baton. He goes down. Bing! The, or the orchestra moves. 
one hand, this, he counts, the other hand, he conducts. That's how you learn to conduct music. Now, if we're sitting in an orchestra, and I decide that night, I would like to play the meditation from Tice by Massonet. The guy next to me says, no, I want to play Appalachian Spring. The guy over here says, no, he says, I want a Russian ballet by Tchaikovsky. And we all start, we got concophony. Creation is not there. Harmony is not there. Synergy means everything is in harmony, especially in your heart. Harmony. Serenity. If you do not have serenity in your heart and in your soul on that throne, God cannot do his work. And that's where asceticism comes in. And we'll talk about that later. But synergy, first there's asceticism, then there's synergy, then deification. And it's not so easy, but it's lovely. I hope you cry and moan and groan for the love of God. I hope you suffer because you can't get a hold of him the way you want to. You're making progress when you do that. Then you're making progress. Now, let me go on here a little bit. Uh, synergy is the cooperation, the created will with the ideal willings of the God. Liberty is an, an, a note of creation. You have this free will. Now, some people say, well, if he really loved us, he wouldn't give us a free will. That's not true. He loves you so much, he made you free to cooperate with his love. How can you love somebody if you're not free to love them? And how can you love somebody if they don't know they're free to love you? Ah, the romance of God. Now, let me go on a bit. He is the cause, the end of being, the Alpha and the Omega, first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. All creatures are created separate from God, but their final fulfillment lies in union with his deification. You do not lose your identity when you so-called go to heaven, when you die. Your body gets so worn out, it's not a place where the soul can exist anymore. It's just sort of shot to hell. It's, excuse me. It's all shot. That's not a noble place for this beautiful soul. You have to let go. I knew a woman was a dying, holy woman, and uh, she was dying of pancreatic cancer, not so happy. And she decided not to take the treatment because that was worse than the disease. And anyway, uh, I went to see her and talked to her. It's not easy to talk to those people, but they're God's beautiful people, and they're shortly going to be there. So I went to talk to her, and I, I says, I says, how are you? Ridiculous. She's not any good. I know that. Well, what are you going to say? Let's pray. That's always good. Hold their hand. Touch them. Let them know they're loved. She says, Father, I can't feel God's presence anymore. So I said to her, it's very simple. He wants you to leave, and you'll get his presence back. He's telling you it's time to leave. But you're going to go to a beautiful place because you are a beautiful person. 
You have the love of God in your heart and his divine energies. You're already part of his kingdom. You're just going to the party. But if we don't live this ascetical living and we don't prepare the throne of the heart for God to dwell in us and to receive and to be graced and to feel the energies of God, theosis, we're cheating ourselves of the great Passover. Now let me go on here a little bit now. Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, you know, I think he's about, I can't remember his dates right now, but about 300 or something, third century or something. In his Contraheri says, a wonderful document from the early church. We have documents from the early church. We know what they thought. We have theology. He called Mary the New Eve. I was at a conference in England one time, being nosy as usual, want to know what's going on. And a no learned theologian gets up and he says there was no Mariology in the church, in the early church. It developed later. I raised my little stinky hand. I said, what about Irenaeus and the New Eve? What happened to that? Isn't that Mariology? Well, they moved on quickly because I'm a troublemaker. They, they, they moved on quickly. But I'm glad I knew that because I would have believed him. There was Mariology the moment Jesus was conceived. <laughs> what the? Come on, let's get with it. Okay, now. But back to Irenaeus. He said that God had just two hands to form this beautiful person you're becoming, the Son and the Holy Spirit. With these two hands, he formed you into the new beautiful creation. Fallen, but loved. Redeemed and filled with a God life through the incarnation. Rejoicing always in your future. Being exuberant about the love of God you have in your heart. St. Basil the Great, he's a pretty good line. He says that... Uh, one of the great fathers, the golden age, so-called, quote, he says, the father is the original cause, the primordial cause. The son is the operating cause. And the spirit is the perfecting cause of what you're becoming. Now, let me repeat that so I can remember it. I can't remember it anyway, but I'm, I wrote it down. So we're safe. The primordial, that's from way back, you know, always was, always will be, cause is the Father. The Son is the operational cause. He causes you. He causes the world. He is the Word. If he speaks another word, bing. And the Holy Spirit is the perfecting cause. They act in concert like that orchestra I told you about to make all of us beautiful in Christ's holy church. Gorgeous. The Eastern tradition knows nothing of pure nature to which grace is added as a supernatural gift. There's, there's no such thing. Existing self is a gift of grace. We can talk about original sin, but that would be too far off to talk about that right now. But anyway, the objective call, the reason for your being here is deification to become those little gods by participating in his divine energies. That's what you're here for to do. 
and leave me your money so I can build a bigger monastery. Well, I, I didn't want to bring that up in school. No. <laughs> Cosmology, the soul is a sentinel of the created body. The Christian mystic must turn into the inner chamber of his heart and he will find the <coughs> harmony of the created universe in the hand of God. Man constantly bears paradise in himself. You are paradise. It's with you. Magnificent. You're baptized. Chrismated. You eat the body and blood of the Lord in a holy meal. The church preaches to you because you are paradise. You're worth anything we have to pay the price for to get you there. But we don't want to go, you know, you don't want to go alone. So, you know, Greg, take a few with us. You know, take a few with, with you now. The good in the created universe lost by the first Adam is the work of Christ, the second Adam. Romans 8, 18 to 34. The history of the world is the history of the church. The foundation of the world, the church is a place where union with God takes place. For the vocation of all creation is union in the liberty of harmony with the will of God. Liberty in harmony with union with God. In the church there is a plenitude of divine energies to bring about the deification of the whole world. The entire universe is called to the church, the eternal kingdom of God. That's Vatican II degrees on the Catholic Church of the Eastern Rite. Very beautiful. It's in there. What it says there is this, in the preamble, in the Eastern Catholic Church, conspicuous is the patristic teaching and the apostolic teaching of the early church. That's what we're holding on to, we old museum pieces. Holding on to that beautiful tradition of the apostles, the fathers, and the liturgy in the church to bring us to maturity in Christ. Now I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about also um, the glory of God. The glory of God is his interior life. So you pray, glory be the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to now and ever and ever and forever, glory to God in the highest, all these glories. We're praising the interior life of God. That is the glory. Now I wanted to, I had a little Bible here, I think I've lost it now, but it's a cute Bible, this little one right here, you see? And anyway, I wanted to read some pa a couple of passages to you to uh, get you ready to meditate all this week. The first is the transfiguration of the Lord. Be patient with me. After six days, Jesus took them up to Peter and James and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Divine energies! And behold, there appeared with him Moses and Elijah. Moses also had been transferred on the mountain. Jesus is the prophetic successor to Moses and Elijah. 
talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it well that we be are here? If you wish, I will make three booths. It's a theophany. The first thing we do in the Old Testament is we see God manifest himself. We build a temple. This is truly a theophany. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The Shekinah, the Father. And a voice came out and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, Rise up and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. That's who we see. And he's making the Shekinah come into our hearts. And the Father is saying, Listen to him. Now, this is the apostolic response to that happening. It's in Second Peter. And uh, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful English also. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. This is the apostles' teaching. When we were made known to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyes witnesses of his majesty. For when we received the honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the, majestic, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard his, this voice born from heaven, and we were there with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word that made, was made sure. Uh, right, Elijah? You will, will do well to pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns when the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophet of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophet can come by impulse of men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's apostolic witness to the transfiguration, and that's what we want in your heart. Now, I have to give you 15 minutes to ask me questions. Don't make them too difficult, but I'm already tired. God bless you. I'll answer your questions now. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. Um, I'm waiting for a few more questions to be asked really quick. Uh, but one that was left over that I forgot to mention was, how do we understand sort of this process of, of discernment in our own lives? You know, this process, uh, how does discernment play? And I know that's has very little to do with what we were talking about, but that was one while I wait for them to come in. Well, if you want discernment, you have to find a father, a spiritual father that can read and touch your soul and that prayerful person will help you read your soul and he'll find your vocation for you mm. if you find always listen to priests I mean, you may not like them but always listen to them some of them are very gifted and they will tell you what's in your heart if there are there are gifted priests the discernment is not you and your navel 
staring at the scriptures. It's staring at your heart, speaking the words of your heart, and uh, that person, that priest or spiritual father or mother, whatever it is, can tell you the if you got it or not, what you're dealing with, especially in the case of marriage. Monks, they're all over the place. They're just stupid. And, and they do not want to listen. I'd, I'd hate to have to tell you stories about my monks. I wouldn't do that. But they know how I am. So they put up with me. But we need those charismatic people to lead people to vocations. I'm not bragging. I had four boys go through the seminary. Three are priests today, one's a deacon. I have vocations around me. It wasn't because I waited for the Holy Spirit to drop eggs on their head. Mm. I saw the signs and I invited them. Mm. And I'm inviting you all to become saints because I need the crowd to get me in there. Mm. I hope that's not too obtruse, but it's sort of the truth that how People are floating around. And what's wrong with spending time pondering with God and telling him you want to know his will, even if it's unpopular with you? You may not want to hear it. What's wrong with suffering for the love of God? What's wrong with doing something decent with your life instead of wasting your time? The church needs you. The church is lacking a couple things. The first thing it's lacking is sort of personnel, nuns and priests and monks and babies. It's the personnel of the future, you know. The other thing that's lacking is money. We're a poor church. But I always figure I'll get money. I've built four parishes and I have a monastery. I, I haven't had I had to work hard though. I've done a lot of crazy things to, to build these places, but it's very important, you understand, mm -hmm. that we take care of our church with these resources. You have another question. That was enough for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in the description of the Transfiguration, one of the questions was, uh, how do we know that it was Moses and Elijah? Are they specifically named? And what's their significance um, either way? No, I don't think God lies, and I don't think the text lies, and I have confidence in the Bible. That's one of the things that modern scripture scholarship has done. Destroy Jesus' life, destroy comfort in a bottle, and make all of us something in the Bible, and make all of us sort of the, you know, agnostics. Don't read the Bible like an agnostic. Read it with your heart. What it says is what it means, and the church sings it in its liturgy. So we have we know it was them. Absolutely. They might not looked, you know, too modern or what or that, but it was them. Do you think God the Father would would uh, betray us or deceive us? How's that possible? We are people of experienced faith and maturity. And we, have, we stand on the shoulders of giants who gave us these sacred texts. And the fathers have commented on it. It's a liturgical text to teach us 
That's what the New Testament is. It was written to be read in the assembly. It's the word of God. Oh, if you don't believe in the word of God, you're lost. <coughs> it's, it's the most important thing we have for truth. I don't care. I take that that scene, the transfiguration, changed the whole world because it revealed the divine energies of Jesus Christ before he went to his cross. And we sing in the liturgy so that when we would see hold him crucified, we would have courage. We sing it in the liturgy and the matin services. You got to do the matin services. You got to pray because you don't learn scripture without it. You don't learn your religion. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, there, there's actually been a number of questions about fasting. Um, and I think this is a, a time back to what we talked about at the beginning. How exactly does fasting, um, how does it, how does it mortify the passions? What's, what's the, the, the purpose of fasting? Oh, you want it ahead of time. You want the med you want the medication now, huh? Oh, you poor lamb. Are you holding on to your chair? I'm. Uh, I am indeed. What did Saint Paul say about the stomach? It's our worst enemy. If you not can control your stomach, you can't control anything. You have to ask the young monk how he lives his life of celibacy and eats maybe one meal a day and sleeps with his cross and learns to control his passions and his spiritual father is praying constantly for him and he becomes a monument to faith, love, and beauty. He can't see it, but others around him can. Fasting is the key to heaven. The key to heaven is fasting. Hello? Because if you can't control what you eat, you can't control any of your other your passions. You become an animal. You let the animal instincts control you. Prayer and fasting is the keys to heaven. And you will suffer to control the devils around you, including yourself. Prayer and fasting. Prayer forms one, fasting disciplines one. It's basic. Not just this little la-di-da we have for liturgical seasons. Every day, every way, every fasting with the eyes, with the nose, the mouth, the ears, what's around you. How do you protect your children? Fasting. Keep them away from harm's way. Fill them with the word of God. Where should they learn to read? From the Bible. Hmm? We've lost our way in our culture because we've forgotten the monuments of faith. Fasting is not an option. Prayer is not an option. Is that enough? That's enough, yes. Uh, but I'd love to talk more about this uh, in depth at some other time. Um, well, one of the questions about fasting. Perfect. Uh, I have a front conference on asceticism. But first of all, I have to teach you who God is. No, absolutely. I have a question about Trinitarian theology that came up. Yeah. Uh, 
how do we sort of balance as Catholics, how do we balance all of the different views of Trinitarian theology? I mean, you pointed out that there's this, this sort of implicit difference between the Roman bishop that uh, was talking about sort of the Roman way of understanding God as, as a Trinity, uh, and yet ours as being different. How do we as Catholics balance that? Well, it's interesting. Uh, when you go to seminary, the first degree you get in the old days, you wound up with you got a degree in philosophy. And in philosophy, they gave you all this language. So we uh, have people like, oh, Blessed Augustine, who uses Aristotelian philosophy to explain his theology, which means he's taking something that is divinely revealed and bringing it down to a human category. Thomas Aquinas would do the same thing. And it's been, we've been suffering that, the Eastern Church has been suffering that for 800 years. And the Reformation was another disaster. So we have in the Catholic community, I remember Bishop George, who we were having a discussion at a meeting. He said, we have all this luggage we carry around as Catholics. We have Suarezian uh, theology, we have Franciscan theology, we have the schoolman scholastic theology, we have, oh my God. It's, it's hard to try to be a Catholic. All sorts of proliferation of devotions. Throw it out! <laughs> Follow what the church teachers taught us and the apostles. That's the theology and the revelation of the church, not what other people say about it. And Thomas Aquinas said, this was all trash. Thomas Aquinas was a philosopher, not a theologian. So what are you going to pick? You're going to pick the teaching of the fathers and Father Stanitron. That's what you're going to pick. <laughs> yes. And stick with it. Read the philosophy. Read the Matin services. You got to breathe them. And all our theology is contained in those services. Mm. Our what we wait. The criteria faith should be this. <clears throat> The preaching of the apostles, the teaching of the fathers, and the melody theology in the church's liturgy. We have the best package. It's a tremendous gift of the Holy Spirit to our church. We cannot possibly absorb all, all, all that last 800 years. It's been a disaster. It's, break, it's broken up the church. Mm. Was that enough heresy for one afternoon? Okay. Uh. <laughs> Um, I do have one question about heaven uh, that came in. You yeah. know, this this idea that heaven is is not necessarily another place that we go to. Um, I, I'm I'm a little unclear as to what it says. So let me let me just read it. Um, so heaven not being a place uh, you go, God's kingdom on earth. Uh, does this mean that there's sort of a mystical uh, reality here on earth that we're constantly moving in, um, as opposed to a separate place? Absolutely. We're always moving, hopefully, in the divine energies of the Holy Trinity, and that is heaven. Mm. And it starts on earth, and it goes on, and when we die, we just go continuing. It's a continuation 
of the church is heaven. When you look at a Byzantine church, what is it? Christ is mounted up there in the dome, all this beautiful iconography. They're trying to tell you this is heaven. And what is the Eucharist? It's the mystical supper with the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is heaven. we got heaven on earth. I don't feel much of my aches and pains, but it's still heaven. Because <laughs> it's a matter of God enthroned in you and that you're living in the divine energies of God, which come from the Holy Trinity. Well, heaven is being united with the Holy Trinity in his life. That's heaven. When no matter where it is, and when you'll rise up again, Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a little story. I was in England. They've heard this guy's here. So I was playing the Norfolk Symphony Orchestra. And you know that in England, if it's tea time, in the middle of a measure, they drop the baton. That's it. Go have tea, which is and uh, biscuits, which is cookies. We call them cookies. So this lady was sitting there. She was a cellist, and I was playing in the violin section. And she says she didn't know what I was. She was a Catholic priest or a vicar or what. She says to me, she says, you know, the vicar preached on the creed this week. And I'm very discouraged. I said, why? The creed is a wonderful gift from the early church and the fathers. She says, well, he said that I'm going to rise again. I said, what's wrong with that? The resurrection. He says, have you looked at, take a good look at me? I said, that's not the point. That's not the issue. The issue is this. You're going to be 30 years old and gorgeous in the presence of God. We are transformed. And this body which is sold in death and pain and sorrow is revived in the glory of the resurrection. A beautiful thing. But don't burn it, bury it, and take care of the relics. We need them. Okay, what else? Well, I mean, as an extension of that, how do we understand the Our Father when it says, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How, how is that understood within this, this teaching? Oh, you, this, this jargon? Yeah, as in, as in heaven, heaven is here um, on here, earth, but it, as it is in heaven. Here, how, how is that? It's here and it's wherever the Father is and whatever his grace is at. Hmm. It's not. A geography lesson. Huh? Wherever the Father is, we are in heaven. It's an ontological existence. It's not just a place. Because God is not extended out in parts in philosophy, but of course Jesus is. Mary is. Where they are, there we will be. But they're with us here too. They're walking around with us now. The liturgy they're all gathered around there at the altar. That's why you better pay deacon. You better do it right. Did you hear me? Okay. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> um, well, that's all the questions that we had, Father. Um, do you have any last-minute remarks? Um, or anything? I want you to have a beautiful week and fall in love with God, fall in love with our Byzantine Church, and breathe the air of freedom of the divine energies. How's that? Wonderful, wonderful. Could you close us in prayer, Father? Yes, we will. <clears throat> Which one did I change? When the angel came. When the angel came and announced to her from the spirit you'll conceive with humility and with trust in God, 
Mary answered, I believe. With our heart's devotion true, hymns and prayers we offer you. Temple for his birth, fairest flower of earth, worthy of all praise is due. The blessing of your grace and loving kindness always now and ever and for every minute. God bless you, each and every one. Pray hard for all of us. So we meet joyfully in the kingdom of heaven, which we're in already, by the way. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Father.